Good morning. How are y'all? I see some familiar faces, but I'm always surprised when I see so many new faces. Um, you're at Parent U, so I hope everybody got a donut and some sugar to kind of help bring things along. And um, my name is Cami Summers, and Jeff is my husband, and we've been doing youth ministry for 27 years or something like that, like a really long time because we're really old. But Jeff is usually the one that teaches here at Parent U. He's the pastor of student families and over high school and junior high, and I am his helpmate, and I don't usually do the teaching. I usually get to come up and just tell you what it looks like in my real life um, and share that piece, and that is a much more comfortable piece to me, because what is not comfortable to me is to come up here and say I have all the answers, because I don't, because this is hard, <laughs> so, so, um, but God's word directs us, and so that's where we're going to go to find wisdom and knowledge, and the other thing that's really important is community, and I will say is our oldest is 21, so we have Four kids, um, Tears is 21, Jace is 18, Lexi is 14, and Zane is 11. And so, um, and I will say, it is the most isolating season of life, being the parent of a teen. Because you're running all the time. And it is very, very easy to lose your own friendships and your own relationships and your own time with the people that you, whereas when they were little, you could do a play date and they would play and you could, you know, connect with that other mom or that other dad or that other couple, or you could hire a babysitter and you could go out. Like this season of life when you have teens, I mean, it's hard enough to get the date, right? With your husband who you love and want to spend time with some days. It is really hard to connect with other couples who are just as busy as you And so, like, the most we can get on the calendar with a couple is, like, four times a year, which isn't real conducive to relationships. So that's part of the reason we do parent you, is we want you to sit at tables and connect with other people who are in the same season of life. Maybe they're a little farther along and they can give you some wisdom. Maybe they can give you the right question that you need to be asking. Um, But but part of what we want to do at parent you is to connect you to each other, and that's why we do it four weeks in a row in the fall and four weeks in a row in the spring, so that you can connect with each other. So, you know, make friends, get to know each other, grab coffee, you know, because we do, we need each other. And it is so easy in this season of life to lose connection. Um, That wasn't even in my notes. That was just off the cuff. So just a little piece of advice. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to (sighs) start. Dear Lord, you know that we love you <laughs> and that we, we need you in every moment of every day. And even as we're talking today about prodigals and Pharisees, you are the only one that makes a Christian. And we acknowledge that and we confess in our desire to be good parents. We sometimes think we can do it on our own or we try to do it on our own. And so we just give our kids to you. We give this time to you. I pray that your word and your wisdom would pervade everything that's said here today and that you would be glorified as we talk about your word and we go to it for guidance and as we talk with each other, that you would help us to be an encouragement to one another and that your name would be glorified. So all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So Jeff is in Colorado. He's teaching at a 
retreat for a church there, and he is sad to miss, but he will be here next week, so um, don't give up on Parent U if my teaching isn't what you want it to be. So, <laughs> um, we talk, we're talking about a prodigal, a Pharisee, and a Christian, and last week Jeff talked about how you really can't control it, right? You can... M- you can be super strict or super lenient. You can have an environment that is conducive to, to a, having a prodigal child or having a Pharisee child. Um, but, but really, it depends on the heart of your child. And that is a great truth, but it's also a really hard truth. And so what we are going to be talking about the next three weeks is what can we do? If we can't, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a hard truth that we can't make a Christian, but it's also a wonderful truth. It's not on you. Your biggest mistakes aren't going to damn them to hell. Your best moments aren't going to save them. So we can rest in God's faithfulness in those moments, but there are things we can do. And so I wanted to start out with the question, what are you and your spouse doing to encourage your children to know God? And I thought we'd kind of take just a few minutes and talk around the tables. And there are some people that are not at tables with other people. You can talk to your spouse or you can join another table or whatever. But we're going to take about five minutes and just talk about what are some things you and your spouse are doing to encourage your children to know God? Some thoughts I had about it were like sending to Christian school, having family devotions, talking about God at home. Sending them to camp or to rush or some of those kinds of things. We, we, those are some of the, the things we've done in our family to point our kids to Christ. Um, when you read scripture, though, and you look for parenting verses, there aren't a lot of them, are there? Um, the most popular and the one you probably are the most familiar with is Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be a frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How many of you are doing that? Like, I don't know about you, but with teens... I'm not with them when they walk along the road (laughs) or when they, you know, maybe when they lie down, maybe, but I'm tired then and often don't go upstairs. I send them to bed, honestly. So like with teens, you get very, very little time with them, right? I mean, my little's a little bit more. I have an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old and because I do homework, I might get more time with them. But my teens, my 18-year-old and my 14-year-old, they're Doing it, handling, part of handling life on their own is I'm not in the weeds of everything they're doing. So I'm not pointing them to Christ as they're doing their history or as we're making dinner. I'm wanting them to clean the kitchen themselves (laughs) so I don't have to be there. So, like, it's hard, isn't it? And then you go to the, the verses preceding these parenting verses, and it was the Shema, and you guys are probably familiar with that. That was the prayer that Israel did in the Old Testament. It was kind of the equivalent to the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament, but it was said in ancient Israel every morning and every evening. And it says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. How are y'all doing at that? 
I think the point of me showing you those two verses is our own relationship with God precedes us telling our children. Um, we, it, and loving God with our whole heart and soul and mind is hard. Um, I like the way that one, one woman told me, she said, I don't know if I'm ready for that much of a commitment with, with God. I think we're just dating. <laughs> You know, like, that's a bit much. <laughs> and the, so the question is, are you dating God? We can't want for our teens and our children what we don't have ourselves. And it really matters. Like, our own relationship with God matters because when our kids were little, we could say, do what I say and not what I do. But when your kids are teens... It, it comes across as hypocrisy. And they see us when the mask, when we have to set the mask aside, when we're feeling sick or tired or just plain selfish. And so if we're not really connected with the Lord, they'll know that our commitment is less than. And uh, the story I have for this is my kids were, okay, so I didn't grow up in a Christian home and we didn't go to church on Sundays in my growing up. So when Jeff and I got married, I kind of thought church on Sunday was optional. (laughs) And Jeff had grown up in a Christian home, and he'd gone to church every Sunday. And so for him, it was just what you did. That's what Sunday is. You go to church. And for me, I had to lean into his commitment most Sundays. Because I don't know about you guys, but most Sundays, like it was just hard, right? So we were even living here. So I'd been married longer than I should tell you. And I'd been going to church every Sunday because my husband was a pastor and that's what you do. But Jeff was out of town and it was rainy and I had four kids to get to church by myself. And this was long before they streamed or any of that stuff, which would be so dangerous if I were in that same situation now. But, um, and I was, I was thinking, oh, you know, because you want to justify in those moments the decisions you're going to make. And I was like, oh, they had church at home in the New Testament. We could have church at home. It'll be fine. We can wear PJs. You know, and so I was like, I kind of made it up my mind because Jeff was out of town and, and, and I could do that. So I gather all the kids around and I'm like, hey, do y'all want to go to church? And they were like, no. And I was like, me either. I said, do you think God wants us to go to church even if we don't want to? And they were like, no. And I was like, yes. And then I was like, who said that? It was me that said that. And then I said some words that I don't even know how the Lord spoke through me because it wasn't what was in my heart. I said, God wants us to come to church whether we feel like it or like whether we feel like we want to or not because church and corporate worship isn't about how we feel. It's about God. It's about meeting together with other believers to tell God we love him. And sometimes we go because we want to obey God. And for me this morning, that's why we're going. (laughs) So let's pray God changes our hearts. (laughs) And we went upstairs and we got dressed and we went to church. And I will tell you, God answered that prayer. He changed my heart. It was Global Sunday. And we came, and it was just this precious Sunday. And I came home with my kids, and we're having lunch afterwards. And I said, aren't you so glad we went to church? And they were like, yes. And I said, see, like sometimes it's important to obey 
even when we don't want to. And I think that lesson was really more for me than it was for them because it was my own struggle. And since then, I've, I've felt better about going to church. It's been more of a habit and less of a, a discipline, um, more of a desire and less of a discipline. But going to church and observing the Sabbath is one of God's top ten. And you know it from Exodus 20 when he says, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Um, When we were living in Florida, I taught a women's Bible study on the Ten Commandments. And I was completely shocked at how violently the women responded to this command. I mean, it was all in their business. And they wanted the rules. And, and I get it because the Sabbath can evoke a lot of feelings, right? Um, like me, it's easy to want to justify what we want. So it depends, though, on what your experience has been. So the question I want you all to talk about for the next five minutes, is how you feel about the Sabbath. Is it something you look forward to? Is it a struggle? Have you tended towards legalism? Have you enjoyed it? What do you guys think about the Sabbath? So you guys talk for five minutes around your table. (laughs) I can tell by the looks on your faces you're so excited about this topic. Okay, so how how many tables love the Sabbath and can't wait every Sunday? Yeah, some of you? That's awesome. That's a great thing. Like, we should celebrate that. I, I think we're there finally with my family most days. Um, but when my kids were little, older and wiser moms than me really encouraged me to make the Sabbath different, a celebration. And so I think it was easy when they were little. We did sugar cereal. It was the only day of the week they could have sugar cereal. We did a big breakfast after lunch. You know, they, they got kind of unlimited like time with each other when I always took a nap. So that worked really well when they were little, but when they got older, I always had littles because of the range of my kids. So my older kids had special sister time or brother time with the younger one. So they would watch them while I would nap. And that became so sweet how the Lord really blessed that and gave really sweet relationships with my older daughter and my younger daughter and my older son and my younger son. And so it was, it was easy when they were little but middle school has, once they started middle school, it was so hard. I mean, that homework ramps up, right? And you've got stuff to do. And if you have stuff to do on Saturday, if you're going to keep a Sabbath on Sunday, you need to do your homework on Friday. Who wants to spend Friday night doing homework? Not my kids. <laughs> and then you've got all the activities, right? The, the volleyball and the soccer and the drama and all of the things have infringed on our Sundays and it's made it really hard and if you're like me the pressure of the culture pushing in on our family's desire for the Sabbath has been hard and I can remember when Tirza was in high school at Duluth High she was in one of the plays and this never happened when I was a kid when I was a kid Sabbath observance was normal I grew up in Texas and so I can remember even grocery stores being closed on Sunday because that's the way they did it. Um, But with my kids, 
they had, she was in a play at Dilly's High, and they had drama rehearsal for the play on Sunday morning. I was shocked and so angry at response to that. But if Tears was going to be in the play at that time, they've changed it, I think, since. But at that time, she had to go the two Sundays before the play for that practice. And I remember gathering together as a family and going, what do we do? I mean, Tirza was the only Christian that we knew was in drama at that time in Duluth. And so we had these competing values, right? We had the desire for her to be salt and light in a dark world and the desire for our family to observe a Sabbath. And we had to wrestle with it. We had to sit down with our kids and talk about why do we observe a Sabbath? It's not a rule for a rule's sake, right? We have real reasons what we're trying to accomplish by doing it. But then, too, God says, be salt and light. Go into the darkness. And this is a dark place he's called Tirza to be. So what do we do? What would you do? We said she could go and do practice. It was for a limited time. And we felt like the desire for her to be a a salt and light on that campus, because if we took her out of it, we would take her completely out of the place. So that's the decision we made. But right on the heels of that decision, they started a Christian basketball league for Jace. And he really wanted to do it. And all of his friends were doing it. And it was a Christian basketball league that had the games on Sunday. And we had to recircle up and go, okay, what are our values? We value the Sabbath. This was a different situation because he wasn't salt and light. It wasn't a non-Christian group of people. It was all Christians. It wasn't that he was going to serve somebody else. It was really about him having his own fun time and getting better at basketball. And so, again, we gathered up and we talked about our competing values. We value basketball. We value the sport. But we value a Sabbath more. And so we told him no. That's hard. It was super hard because all the other Christian parents were saying yes. And so we were making ourselves different. But I told him, I said, if we do this, and you guys are going to laugh because this sounds like I'm so selfish. But I was like, I won't get a nap because I'll be running you around. And God says, rest. I take that very seriously. So, you know, but he was really mad. And he will even say, I was talking to him about it this week because I was asking him about talking about it. And he said, yes, and you need to tell them that the reason I'm not in the NBA is because you wouldn't let me be in it. (laughs) But that's our fear, right? Like, we're going to miss out on this opportunity for our child if we take them out of this. He, went, he since went on to a nerd school, and they don't even have sports. So it's a fine decision. Um, <laughs> but what works for one family doesn't necessarily work for the other, right? I mean, that's just the truth. And we have to wrestle with these because we're in a non-Christian world in our family. And I said yes to drama. You might say no. I said no to basketball. You might say yes. Um, Matthew two twenty seven. Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We aren't in bondage to the Sabbath, but the pinch of it, the struggle is that we are to depend on God in discerning what the Sabbath means to us. It should be set apart. It should be worshipful. We have to fight to keep the Sabbath. Talking about it with our teens invites them to take ownership of their faith. One day they will have to fight for it themselves. Their jobs will want them to work on Sunday. More than likely. How many of you have jobs that want you to work on Sunday? I mean, right? Um, And if they don't take ownership of it, 
then it won't become real for them. And we want them to see that it's a day to delight in the Lord. Isaiah 58, 13 says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In the context of these verses, Israel thought that they could do the checklist, you know, like check God off. I'll do what he says, that rule following desire that we all have in our hearts. And God is saying the Sabbath is an opportunity to set aside our own desires, our own goals, and to delight in God. Because our soul needs it. Um, last year, last spring, Jace was taking six AP courses. He was involved in Model UM. He was doing Rush Prep and Taste of Gwinnett. And he had totally lost his Sabbath. And he was tired, exhausted. You looked at him and he was stressed out. And one night I was talking to him and I told him, I said, Bud, you were created by God with the need for rest, and you're not getting it. And I said, you need to take a Sabbath. You need to start instituting the practice of a Sabbath. And he was like, he gave me all the reasons he couldn't. You know, he had, he had three tests on, sun, on Monday. He hadn't had time to study because he'd been at Model UN. If he, didn't take, if he didn't study and do what he needed to do, he wouldn't do well at school on Monday. And I looked him in the eye and I said, do you believe God and his word or not? That's pretty much what it boils down to. And I left it there. I didn't shame him. I didn't make the decision for him. I didn't push him to commit to doing what I wanted him to do. Because the point of it wasn't to get him to please me. It was for him to take ownership of the Sabbath. And when he talked about it this summer at Rush, he talked about how God showed up. He decided to take a Sabbath. And he was off from sundown on Saturday night until sundown on Sunday. So he did study Sunday night, but that's kind of the ancient way that they observed the Sabbath in Jerusalem. And he talks about how that Monday, I've got to look at the numbers, five out of seven of his teachers were absent, and all three tests got put off. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Like, I didn't even orchestrate or have anything to do with that. God showed up. And when he talked about it at Rush, he talked about how every week it is still a struggle. It didn't get easier just because he saw God show up that one time. Every week it's still a struggle, but he also said it's worth it because he experienced the delight of the Lord. And he saw that he could do more with less time when he prioritized his time with the Lord. Um, I share all these stories not because we do everything right. You know we don't. We're just like y'all. We're trying to figure it out. But I think it's important that we share with each other. Um, Everything I've learned, I've learned from another mother, probably. Um, I mean, all of my best practices. And there have been so many fails at our house. So I just was going to share with you some of my fails, my Sabbath fails. Okay, tech-free Sunday. Mm, My family didn't work. (laughs) Moving the Sabbath from Sunday to Saturday, Mm, that didn't work. Um, Phone-free Sunday, tried that one, yeah, didn't work. Um, Worship music only on Sunday, 
yeah, they're not buying it. Um, VeggieTale or Christian Entertainment only on Sunday. Try that one too. Yeah, didn't work. Um, because I was trying to set it apart, but what I found that was when I implemented those things, they dreaded Sunday. And I tended to be legalistic. You know, well, does this count as a music that's Christian or not Christian? <laughs> like, if I text my friends on my phone, does it count being on my phone? You know what I mean? And we're always looking for the loopholes, right? And then we're not delighting. We're just trying to obey the rules to some degree. The whole point is to be intentional, to invite our teens into the struggle and to acknowledge that sometimes there are competing values that must be weighed, and to invite our teens to wrestle with them. Um, especially as they get older, they should be making the decisions if they're going to own their faith. So we've talked about the Sabbath. I'm looking at my time real quick. And, okay, I'm just going to go straight. We're going to skip a discuss- discussion and go straight to what else do we need to think about? And the Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is, do you know it? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? I would rewrite it because I'm smarter than all the people who wrote that. And I would say the chief end of man is glorifying God by enjoying him forever. Like, I think that's what glorifying God looks like is enjoying him. And Because we have a relational God, and he loves us unconditionally. His love is extravagant. And as we talk about the Pharisee and the prodigal, the picture of the daddy's love, oh, I long for that. Um, My parents divorced when I was young, and my dad wasn't around. But that picture of the daddy who gives his son the means to rebel and then waits for his return and then celebrates it when he's repentant, that daddy who leaves the party to go after the Pharisee, That's the kind of love I want to show my kids. And I think that unconditional love, God's unconditional love, can be hard for us to grasp, right? Anybody else struggle? I I just struggle with it. I want to turn it into a list of rules. And when I look back at the Old Testament, I'm so thankful because that's what they did, right? The, The religious leaders turned a relationship with God into hoops she jumped through and a list of do's and don'ts. But Colossians 3, 16 and 17 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jeff has a beautiful singing voice, but I can't sing. I mean, not a note in a bucket if you handed it to me. I can't hear. I'm the person that watches um, American Idol, and the person sings, and I look at Jeff, and I go, were they good? I can't tell. I just have no singing ability. But I think what this verse is talking about is more than singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. I don't think it's just about carrying a tune. It's about being joyful. When we look at the culture does it depict Christians as joyful? No, it does not. And as parents in our middle ages, being joyful has a lot of obstacles, right? I mean, do you feel like you're living in a pressure cooker? I mean, you've got the bills, the responsibilities, the job usually ramps up in this season of life. The energy level goes down. You've got the hormones, the, the health issues. You've got household chores and car maintenance and 
retirement and aging parents, right? Hormones, health issues, all of it. It's easy for my kids to see me stressed out, irritated and exhausted. And it can be hard to find time to connect with God. Um, I was talking to a mom this week and she said, time with God always feels rushed. Because you're always trying to get to that next thing. Do you guys feel like you're running all the time? I feel like I run everywhere. I was talking to my boss this week. Um, I work at the Discipleship Ministries for the PCA. And I said, my highest value is efficiency. (laughs) I want to get things done. And he looked at me and he was like, that's not my highest value. (laughs) And I was like, okay. So you're going to make me be inefficient. But I, I think that that's easy with our kids to, for them to not see us being joyful. And I think because of the season of life we're in. Um, but when Tirza was in middle school, I was working with Monty Starks, who used to be involved with discipleship ministries here at, at Perimeter. And I was working on some curriculum with him, and I was talking to him about kind of the season of life and how it was hard to find time to connect with God. I, had, I still had littles at that time, and, and I was just like, I don't have any time to myself. I don't have... You know, I can never get away. And he said, it's so funny that people think you have to get away to connect with God. He said, who gave you your spouse and your children and your job? And I went, okay. And he said, you can't sustain your spiritual life on your getaways because they're far and few between. You have to figure out how to connect with God in the chaos and in the busyness of your life. It's kind of like, if you, if you think it's only about getting away, it's kind of like only eating on Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> like, the spiritual diet won't hack it. You need more of time with God. And he really challenged me um, to, con- to practice connecting with God with children hanging from my earlobes and in the busyness of life, um, to seek to quiet my heart and focus on God. And his words were such an encouragement to me because I'd read Brother Brother Lawrence's Practicing His Presence. Have any of you read that? Okay. The whole time I'm reading the book, it's about this monk who's a dishwasher who practices God's presence all the time. And as a mother of four, in the throes of it, I was like, sure, if I was a monk, I could do this. (laughs) Like, he makes it sound easy, and my life, it's not easy. But I think that, so what, what, after I read brother Lawrence I was like I have to get up at five in the morning to have time with God and I was like that ain't happening I'm not a morning person so when Monty said figure it out in the context of your life I was like huh okay what does that look like and for me it looked like my prayer life got better because I would sit in my rocking chair with all of my children around me hanging from my earlobes and I would be like, okay, Lord, I'm going to connect with you. And it would be distracted, and it would be me continually going back to my rocking chair and grabbing my Bible and picking it up and going, okay, I'm back. Like, <laughs> try again, you know, like each day. And it really did develop. Jeff, was, Jeff would be home sometimes, and he'd be like, I cannot believe how you can just, like, make this cone of silence around yourself with all of this going on. And I could stop. But God met me in it. The point is God met me in it because I was— I was trying in the context of life. So the discussion question for the next five minutes is, how do you connect with God in the busyness of life? Okay, does anybody have anything fabulous to share that came up at your tables? The silver bullet of connecting with God, right? No? (laughs) No, nobody has the silver bullet? 
It's really just connecting with him as we go, right? Like it's figuring out today what it looks like. I kind of, that's the way it's been for me. Some days I listen to worship music. Some days I sit with my Bible in my journal. Some days it's hurried. Some days I carve out enough time that it's not. Um, but knowing that I need it is important. We can't pass on our faith to teens to our teens, but we can model for them healthy spiritual practices, and connecting with God is one of the most important parts of enjoying him. So right now, Jeff Norris is leading us through radical dependence, and I wanted to close our time together with thinking about what that looks like for us as parents. Um, I saw somebody here has a sweet baby. I love babies. They're so sweet, and when they're little, like, you can make it all better, right? Like you, they cry and you pick them up and you hold them and your presence is comforting. And when they get the boo-boo, you can kiss it and make it better. And you're the hero. <laughs> and I miss those days. Because <laughs> with teens, you can't do that. <laughs> right? Yeah. They're too big for my lap. <laughs> Not that I want to put them in my lap because sometimes they don't smell very good. I was just being honest. Um, but it's also, we're not the hero anymore, right? Yeah. The rose-colored glasses fall off, and our teens see us as broken people who get it wrong, who make mistakes, who overreact, and who sin against them. And it's hard to fall off the parenting pedestal that we were on when they were little, right? But it's also good. Because our flaws and our brokenness in those, we can point our teens to Christ. We need a Savior. I need a Savior. Um, Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians 12. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." I'm from Texas, where only the strong survive. <laughs> and as a parent, I like to say I'm right. I like to be right. I like to say because I said so and think that that means something, right? But this whole should be enough, this whole content in weakness, it's hard for me as a parent. Because I don't want to be weak. And I don't want to show my teens my weakness. Um, But our teens need to see we don't have it all together. They need to see us lean into Christ because we don't have all the answers and we're plagued by doubts. Because when we do, we give them permission to do the same. And our God is big enough, he can take it. He isn't afraid of our teens' questions or doubts. Um, We're in the throes of this with Jace right now. He's a senior in high school and looking at college. And I'll be honest, I don't have the answer. I don't know where he should go. 
I don't have any idea. Um, I know God does, and I would like a good burning bush. I was talking to somebody about that earlier. Like, why doesn't he still use burning bushes? But he doesn't, and so I'm having to lean in to my own shortcomings because all of the process is like reading a foreign language. They've made it so complicated. But I was reading recently um, the story of Thomas after the resurrection, and, you know, all the disciples come to Thomas and they say, Jesus is risen from the dead. And what does Thomas say? Well, I'll believe it when I see it. I have to see the scars. And then you see Jesus appear to Thomas. And he's so tender. And he shows Thomas his scars with such sweetness and such tenderness and such love. And I'm thinking, if I had been Jesus, I would have said, what do you mean you have to see my scars? Like, have you not been with me? Don't you know better than this? Like, he didn't shame him, and he didn't berate him. You're an idiot for not knowing this. He lovingly showed Thomas his scars. He gave Thomas what he needed to believe, and that's how I want to interact with my teens and my children is I want to interact with their doubts. I want to be a safe place for them to share their doubts. I want to always point them to truth. I was talking with one of my teens, and they were sharing some doubts with me, and I said, biblical worldview. I said, you can, as long as you're basing it on Scripture, you can come up with a different answer than me. I don't have to be right. I am right, but I don't have to be, right? Like, I want to be a safe place. And it's, but it's hard to do that. It's scary to let our kids into our doubts and to revere, reveal our vulnerable spots. And why? Why is it scary to do that? I think it's because on my worst day, I'm afraid God won't show up. I'm afraid that he won't answer their prayer or he won't, cancel the three tests on Monday after he takes the Sabbath, right? I don't, be- I don't believe he will do that. And so at my very worst part, so I buck up and I go, oh, but I should believe it. And I, and I try to be, have my faith be strong enough for my, my children, strong enough to sustain them, but that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's really parenting more out of fear than faith. So in those moments when I'm struggling, when I'm struggling to be vulnerable, when I'm struggling with my own unbelief, I think of the parent of the sick boy in Mark 9. And I say this all the time. Um, If you know me very well, I say this all the time. The child threw himself in the fire. And, you know, the parent comes to Jesus and says, will you heal my child? Can you heal my child? Or something like that. And Jesus is like, can I? Can I? And the the father's like, I believe, I believe. Help my unbelief. (laughs) Help my unbelief. I believe. I want to believe. I believe at my very best moments. But in this moment, I have unbelief. I have doubts. I'm afraid. I'm afraid my teen is going to end up homeless and living in my basement forever. I'm afraid that... He won't get into the right school. He won't meet the right girl. He will end up alone. I'm afraid. All of my fears, right, of my teens. 
Because I look into adulthood and I imagine adulthood without God. And that's not faith. I can trust the Lord. One of the things that led us to do this series is I work with a lady whose name is Sue Jake. She's the children's ministry coordinator for the discipleship ministries of the PCA. And what she talks about all the time is God's promises. God's promises, God's promises, and believe God's promises. And sitting with her has been such balm for my soul because I don't naturally believe God's promises. I want to believe them, but I don't. And so I think that's why I want there to be deep community. You need people in your life who will believe for you in your unbelief. And you need to be able to take your unbelief to the Lord and have him give you belief. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that your love for us is not dependent on our response, that your love is unconditional and comprehensive. And we confess to you, Lord, that we unbelieve, that our own unbelief, that we struggle to believe some days. And we look at our teens and fear can encompass us and keep us from faithfulness. So Lord, we believe but help our unbelief. Help us to set our eyes on you. Help us to fight for our Sabbath. Help us to learn to enjoy you each day. And on the days we don't, bring us back the next one to start over and to try again. Draw us to your quiet voice that we might hear you and we might learn to walk in radical dependence on you. Because we need you. We need you in every moment of every day. And our teens need you. And we know that you're the only one that will make them into Christians. So we we pray you would. We cry out to you, Lord God, please save our children. Help them to know you, to love you with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to walk in obedience as your children. And in any way that we can point them to that, Lord, help us to be faithful, to trust you, and to seek you. And may our children see us enjoying you. In Jesus' name, amen.